And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is November the 9th, 313th day of the year. 52 days remain to the year's over with. Tomorrow is Veterans Day. Well, y'all wanted me to list the uh, holidays and uh, observances. Um, I don't know why. I mean, you could easily look them up yourself, but I'm I'm happy to uh, oblige. And as soon as I find them, hmm. It's interesting that um, it's fascinating. Um, oh, there we go. Okay. It is National Fried Chicken Sandwich Day. Chaos Never Dies Day. If you look at some of our major cities, you see what I mean. National Scrapple Day. World Quality Day. World Freedom Day. Carl Sagan Day. British Pudding Day. National Louisiana Day. Great British Game Week. Number Confidence Week. Uh, Talk Money Week. Lung Cancer Awareness Month. National Children's Month. World Vegan Month, um, National Peanut Butter Lovers Month. I just had some uh, cookies, peanut butter and cashew. Not bad. Movember, National Epilepsy Awareness Month, National Native American Heritage Month, Manatee Awareness Month, National Pomegranate Month, National Novel Writing Month. I've written 60 if you want to see any of them, go to Amazon, look up Ken Hudnall. And National Adoption Month. Well, all that having been said, in 694 A.D., 17th Council of Toledo, Ekeka, king of the Visigoths for Hispania, accuses Jews evading Muslims and sentence all Jews to slavery. Now, why everybody has been down on Jews, I just don't understand. People are people. 1180, Taira forces retreat at the Battle of Fujigawa. 1277, a Treaty of Abercrownway, a humiliating settlement forced on the world at Grifford by uh, King Edward I of England. Brings a temporary end to the Welsh Wars. 1313, Louis the Bavarian defeats his cousin Frederick I of Austria at the Battle of Gamelsdorf. 1330, at the Battle of Posada, Bessarab I of Wallachia defeats the Hungarian army of Charles I Robert. 1456, Ulrich II, Count of Selji, the last ruler of the county of Chile, is assassinated in uh, Belgrade. 1494, the Medici family is expelled from Florence. 
1520, more than 50 people are sentenced and executed in a Stockholm bloodbath. Now, that was a trial that led to a series of executions in Stockholm between the 7th and the 9th of November in 1520. Events occurred after the coronation of Christian II as the new king of Sweden when guests at the crowning party were invited to a meeting at uh, Trey Crono Castle. Archbishop Gustav Trollin demanding uh, economic compensation for things such as demolition of uh, Almarstekat's fortress, questioned whether the former Swedish regent uh, Sten Stur the Younger and his supporters have been guilty of heresy. Supported by canon law, nearly a hundred people were executed in the days following that meeting despite promises of amnesty. And among those killed were many people from the aristocracy who'd been supporting the Sturry Party in the previous years. After this, King Christian II became known in Sweden as uh, Christian the Tyrant. Well, Sweden, while not much has been said um, about some of the activity there historically, they, they got after it. You... Uh, didn't tell the party line, you could wind up drawn and quartered. And then they punish you. 1688, the Glorious Revolution, William of Orange captures Exeter. The, uh, for those that are not familiar with the term, the Glorious Revolution, this term was first used in 1689 to summarize events leading to the deposition of uh, James II and the Seventh of England, Ireland, and Scotland in November 1688, and his replacement by his daughter Mary, the second, her husband, who was also James's nephew, William III of uh, Orange, de facto ruler of the Dutch Republic. Known as uh, the Glorious Crossing in the Netherlands, it was the last successful invasion of England. It's also been described as an internal coup, and is more than likely that's what it was. Despite being Catholic, James became king in February 1685 with widespread support from the Protestant majority in England and Scotland. Mary, many failed to hear his exclusion uh, cause a repetition of the wars of the three kingdoms. Well, it was uh, viewed as a short-term issue since the irrepresumptive was his Protestant elder daughter Mary. Well, James lost popular support by suspending the parliaments of Scotland and England in 1685 and began to rule by personal decree. And that just was not done. Uh... Two events in June of 1688 turned dissatisfaction with uh, what he was doing to a political crisis. The uh, first was born uh, the birth on June 10th of a male heir, James Francis Edward, who displaced Mary uh, and created the prospect of a Catholic dynasty. Second was a prosecution for seditious libel of seven bishops from the Protestant Church of England. And many saw this as the latest in a series of attacks on the state church. Their acquittal on uh, June 30th sparked widespread anti-Catholic riots and literally destroyed James's political authority. And, uh, and it was a little sign of active domestic resistance, but William and the Dutch wanted uh, to prevent British military and financial resources being used against them in the Nine Years' War launched by Louis XIV, the, the Sun King of France, in September 1688. So William launched one of the largest and riskiest military operations in Dutch military history and landed in Brixton and Devon with 20,000 men November 5th and advanced on London. Well, to everybody's surprise, the Royal Army disintegrated and James went into exile in France December 23rd. 
In April of 1689, Parliament made William and Mary joint monarchs of England and Ireland. A uh, separate but similar Scottish settlement was made in June. Um, there were those that looked at uh, officials who had served uh, James as being uh, traitors. And there were a number of trials. Well, in 1720, it's said the Gaga burned down by Arab creditors, leading to the expulsion of the Ashkenazim from Jerusalem. 1729, Spain, France, and Great Britain signed the Treaty of Seville. 1780, American Revolutionary War, the Battle of Fishdown Ford, a force of British and Loyalist troops failed in a surprise attack against South Carolina Patriot Militia under Brigadier General Thomas Sumter. 1791, the Dublin Society of United Irishmen is founded. 1799, Napoleon Bonaparte leads the coup of 18 Brumaire, ending the Directory government and becoming the first consul of the successor consulate government. 1851, Kentucky Marshals abduct abolitionist minister Calvin Fairback from Jeffersonville, Indiana, and take him to Kentucky to Stand trial for helping a slave escape. That's a little kidnapping between friends. Uh, 1862, American Civil War. Union General Ambrose Burnside assumes command of the Army of the Potomac after George B. McClellan is removed. McClellan always felt he was outnumbered and kept asking for more and more troops and more and more assets until Lincoln got tired of it. Um... 1867, the Tokugawa shogunate hands power back to the Emperor of Japan, starting the Meiji Restoration. 1870, the Battle of Comiers ends in a apparent victory for the French army during the Franco-German War of 1870. 1872, Great Boston Fire of 1872 took place on this date. The... Um, this was Boston's largest fire and still ranks as one of the most costly fire-related property losses in American history. The fire began 7.20 in the evening on Saturday, November 9th, 1872, in the basement of a commercial warehouse at uh, 83 to 87 Sumner Street. The fire was finally contained 12 hours later after it consumed about uh, 65 acres of Boston's downtown. 776 buildings and much of the financial district and Caused $73.5 million in damage. Um, you know, the, uh, the destruction was unprecedented, of course. Um, the total loss was about $73.5 million in damage. Um... In 1872 dollars, that's 1.5 billion in 2021 dollars, and also 30 people died, including 12 of the firefighters. Part of the issue was the fact that there was no building codes. Well, 1881, the Mapuche rebels attacked the fortified Chilean settlement of Temuco. 1887, the U.S. receives rights to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii which became one of our biggest bases 
1900, Russia completes its occupation of Manchuria. They have 100,000 troops there. 1906, Theodore Roosevelt's the first sitting president of the U.S. to make an official trip outside the country. They want to inspect the progress of the uh, Panama Canal. And if you've never seen it, it is a fascinating sight. Uh, 1907, the Cumberland Diamond is presented to King Edward VII on his birthday. The uh, Cumberland Diamond is the largest gem-quality rough diamond ever found on Earth. Raised of 3,106 carats. Discovered at the premier number two mine in Cumberland, South Africa. Named after Thomas Cumberland, the owner of the mine. April 1905, it was put on sale in London, but despite considerable interest, two years later, it was still unsold. 1907, a Transvaal colony government bought the Cumberland, and Prime Minister Louis Botha presented it to Edward VII, the British king who reigned over the territory, and it was cut by Joseph Asher and Company in Amsterdam. It, uh... As I say, it was the largest gem quality rough diamond. Now, Cullinan produced stones of various cuts and sizes, the largest of which is called Cullinan One, and named the Great Star of Africa by Edward the Seventh. And at uh, 530.4 carats, is the largest clear-cut diamond in the world. Stones mounted in the head of the sovereign scepter with a cross. Second largest is Cullinan Two, or the Second Star of Africa, weighs 314.4 carats, and it's mounted in the Imperial State Crown. Both, of course, are part of the crown jewels of the UK. And seven other major diamonds, weighing a total of 208.29 carats, were privately owned by Elizabeth II, who inherited them from her grandmother, Queen Mary, in 1953. She also owned minor brilliance and a set of unpolished fragments. When you're queen, there's no limit to what you can get. 1913, the Great Lakes Storm. 1913, the most destructive natural disaster to hit the lakes reaches its greatest intensity after beginning two days before. It destroys 19 ships and kills more than 250 people. 1914, the SMS Emden is sunk by the HMAS Sydney in the Battle of Cocos. The um, Battle of Cocos, for those that are not familiar with it, um, occurred November 9, 1914, after the Australian light cruiser HMAS Sydney, in the command of John Glossop, responded to an attack on a communication station at uh, Direction Island by the, the German light cruiser at SMS Emden, commanded by Carl von Mueller. After the retreat of the German East Asia Squadron from Southeast Asia, Emden was, uh, remained behind to function as a commerce raider. During a two-month period, that ship captured or sank 25 civilian vessels, shelled Madras, and destroyed two Allied warships in Penang. Early November, von Mueller decided to attack the communication station at Direction Island in the Cocos Islands, hamper Allied communications, and frustrate the search for his ship. 
about that same time, a convoy of Europe-bound transports carrying Australian and New Zealand soldiers departed from Albany, Western Australia with escorts HMAS Melbourne, HMAS Sydney, the HMS Monitor and uh, or Minotaur and the Japanese battle cruiser Ibuki. Well, Mueller's plans didn't go quite as he envisioned, and his ship was sunk. 1917, the Balfour Declaration is published in the New York Times. Now, that's something that's important today. It was a public statement issued by the British government in 1917 during the First World War, announcing its support for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine, which was then an Ottoman region with a small minority Jewish population. This um, declaration was contained in a letter dated November 2nd, 1917, from the UK's Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour to Lord Rothschild, the leader of the British Jewish community, for transmission to the Zionist Federation of Great Britain and Ireland. The um, and that began what today is uh, turned into a major war. Now, is an us right? and what it says and what it does? No. Because Hamas has turned down innumerable opportunities to have a lasting peace and build a solid society in Gaza. All the money that goes for foreign aid into Gaza is siphoned into Hamas's coffers and goes to their leaders who live in uh, the lap of luxury, and uh, they keep urging their followers to attack and kill. And see, the problem is, if the battle stop and the war ends, they lose their cushy jobs. Well, nineteen eighteen, Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany abdicates after the German Revolution, and Germany is proclaimed a republic. 1923, in Munich, police and government troops crushed the Nazi Wilhelm Push, which was started by Adolf Hitler. 1935, the Committee for Industrial Organization, the precursor of the Congress of Industrial Organizations, is founded in Atlantic City, New Jersey, by eight trade unions, all belonging to the American Federation of Labor. 1937, the Second Sino-Japanese War. Chinese Army withdraws from the Battle of Shanghai. 1938, Kristallnacht occurs, instigated by the Nazis, using the killing of German diplomat Ernst von Roth by um, Herschel Grinspan as justification. 1940, Warsaw is awarded the Vituti Militari by the Polish government in exile. 1953, Cambodia gains independence from France. 1960, Robert McNamara is named president of the Ford Motor Company, becoming the first non-Ford family member to serve in that post. He resigns a month later to join the newly elected John F. Kennedy administration. I knew his daughter-in-law. Nice young lady, but crazy as a road lizard. 1963, a coal mine in Miki, Japan, an explosion kills 458 and Hospitalizes 839 with carbon monoxide poisoning. 1965, several U.S. states and parts of Canada are hit by a series of blackouts lasting up to 
13 hours in a northeast blackout of 1965. 1965, the Catholic Workers' Movement member Roger Allen Laporte protests against the Vietnam War, sets himself on fire in front of the United Nations building, and it accomplished nothing. 1967, Apollo program. NASA launches the unmanned Apollo 4 test spacecraft atop the first Saturn V rocket from Florida's Cape Kennedy. 1970, Vietnam War. Supreme Court of the U.S. votes 63 against hearing a case to allow Massachusetts to uh, enforce its law, granting residents the right to refuse military service in an undeclared war. 1979, Cold War. Nuclear false alarm. The Norad computers and the alternate military, uh, National Military Command Center in Fort Ritchie, Maryland, detect uh, purported massive Soviet nuclear strength. After reviewing the raw data from satellites and checking the early warning radars, the alerts canceled, but uh, we came within a Nats eyelash of going to war. 1985, Garry Kasparov, 22 of the Soviet Union, becomes the youngest world chess champion by beating fellow Soviet uh, Anatoly Karpov. 1989, Cold War, the Berlin Wall. East Germany opens checkpoints in the Berlin Wall, allowing its citizens to travel to West Berlin. 1993, Stare Most, the old bridge in the Bosnian city of Mostar, built in 1566, collapses after, se after several days of bombing by Croat forces during the Croat-Bosniak War. 1994, the chemical element Darmstadtium is discovered. 1998, a U.S. federal judge in the largest civil settlement in American history orders 37 U.S. brokerage houses to pay uh, one point. $03 billion to cheated NASDAQ investors to compensate for price fixing. 1998, capital punishment in the UK, already abolished for murders, completely abolished for all remaining capital offenses. 1999, TAESA Flight 725 crashes after takeoff from Giruapan International Airport in Giruapan, uh, Michoacan uh, in Mexico, killing all 18 people on board. Year 2000, Uttarakhand officially becomes the 27th state of India, formed from 13 districts of northeast Uttar Pradesh. 2004, Firefox 1.0 is released. 2005, the Venus Express mission of the European Space Agency is launched from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. 2005, suicide bombers attacked three hotels in Amman, Jordan, killing at least 60 people. And what did it accomplish? 2012, a train carrying liquid fuel crashes and bursts into flame in northern Myanmar, killing 27 and injuring 80 others. Also in 2012, at least 27 people are killed and dozens are wounded in conflicts between inmates and guards at uh, Lukata Prison in uh, Colombo. 2014, nine binding self-determination consultations held in Catalonia, asking Catalan citizens their opinion on whether Catalonia should become a state, and if so, should it be an independent state or part of a, a, a greater country. And in 2020, second Nagorno-Karabakh War, armistice agreement is signed by Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Russia on this date. So far, that one hasn't... Um, 
collapsed into fighting, but uh, you never know. All right. A lot of interesting things in the news. The um, We did airstrikes against um, Syria, Syrian bases of uh, Hezbollah. Um, you know, in spite of the silliness of our government in many respects, we still have the most powerful military in the world. And from um, non-country organizations to attack is asking um, to be blown to smithereens. And that's pretty much what has happened. Um, I've been reading a book called Breaking Biden by uh, Alex Marlowe. Well, he he talks about the hidden forces and the secret uh, money machine behind the Biden family. And apparently there's quite a lot of, uh, shall we say, uh, dirty laundry. And yet, the news media is doing everything in their power to protect him. Um, In reading some of the material that uh, folks have sent me and I've found, there really are questions about what happened in 2020 in the election. There are people willing to destroy their careers to protect the Biden family. Not to mention Hunter Biden. Uh, some of what he has done would got anybody else sent to prison. The... Um, We're coming up on 2024, and we've already seen um, a lot of improper conduct by the Democratic Party. In some of the previous elections, um, trucks have been found after the voting was over, crammed to the gills with... um, absentee ballots that have to be counted. And in many cases, that has thrown the election to the Democrats. Um, Am I saying that they are um, stealing the election? No. I'm saying that there are questions anybody should ask. Um, The war in uh, the Middle East the Israeli army has entered the main center of Gaza. Um, I mean, I don't know what Hamas expected to happen when they launched this attack. Apparently they expected all the other um, terrorist groups in the Middle East to come to their assistance. didn't happen. And then it's come out that AP, New York Times, CNN... 
and Reuters had reporters embedded with Hamas when they launched their attack. A lot of photographs that people have wondered how these news agencies got them were because they had people who knew the attack was going to happen and the story was more important in the life of the people that were murdered. Netanyahu, very rightfully so, is digging into this. And there could be prosecutions for murder, war crimes. AP is trying to distance itself and said it's a stringer and we use them occasionally and we don't know anything about it. And, but they used the stories and they didn't bother to question him. The, um, there's a lot of very good uh, sources of information available on the Internet. And I just, this morning in fact, received my replacement shortwave radio. Um, when I discovered years ago, when I was in South America, is what you saw in the media and what you got over the airwaves sometimes were two entirely different things. Our news media, for whatever reason, lies to support whatever position that they take. And those lies, people believe. And it's... Um, It's something that should be uh, questioned and questioned hard. Um, you know, Talib, the congresswoman who was sanctioned for uh, urging the destruction of Israel, MSNBC came to her defense and said, well, what she was saying could have meant something else. It didn't have to mean the destruction of Israel. From the river to the sea? It, it's just... How people can, with a straight face, say something so incredibly stupid just boggles the mind. Well, I've been talking about what I call unfinished business, and that's unsolved murders, and there's a hell of a lot of them. Because especially in the early part of the 1900s, more cases were solved on gut feelings than on evidence. And the gut feelings, more often than not, were just the opinion of the police. Not supported by any evidence. And people's lives were destroyed. See, a lot of the police, and still do to a certain extent, when they decide you did it, any evidence to the contrary, they ignore. And that can result in a lot of injustices. I'm dealing with a court case right now. The attorneys lie. And they lie knowing that they lie. But they're wonderful guys.
and judges will turn over backward to uh, to let them get away with it. Well, we were talking about the Atlanta Ripper, an individual back in, uh, let's see what year it was. Nineteen oh nine was when the first killing took place. It was April of that year. Body of Della the body of Della Reed was discovered in a trash pile. September of that year, the body of a female victim who's never been identified was pulled out of Peachtree Creek. She'd been stabbed and had her throat cut. And of course, you know, the, the idea of a um, serial killer wasn't um, very well thought about in those days. And there could be a dozen killings, and if you investigate them individually, you may not notice in the patterns. In the case of the Atlanta Ripper, it was actually a reporter who noticed the pattern and reported on it. Which, of course, upset the police because, after all, every police officer is a genius. And, unfortunately, um, there were quite a number of um, murders that didn't have to take place. You know, a lot of it has been written about this time period. And... Uh, There was institutional racism that existed in Atlanta. Still does. It was only three years before the first murder. In 1909, there was a massive race riot in Atlanta. 25 African Americans were killed by white mobs following a series of accusations of raping white women. Now, later on, when tempers cooled and the evidence was looked at, a lot of the accusations were false. That didn't bring back the folks killed during the riots. It's also true during this time period, in spite of claims of tolerance and progress in Atlanta that were made by the mayor and governor of the state of Georgia, the Jim Crow laws were still on the books. Black voters still faced a poll tax that literally disenfranchised them, and police investigators didn't pay much attention to the crimes committed in the black community. The assumption was... Due to the degeneracy of the black race, you're going to have crime. Well, it wasn't until 1910 that it began to become very clear that even the most myopic city leader of the evidence supported the idea it was one person who was committing all these murders. Detailed study of the evidence, when you put the prejudice aside, showed the, the murders all had the hallmark of a Woman-hating psychopaths, similar to Jack the Ripper, who terrorized London in the 1880s. Well, murder that seemed to get the full attention of the Atlanta police took place October 3rd, 1910. That morning, the body of 23-year-old cook by the name of Maggie Brooks was discovered. Had it been bashed in with a rock or some other similar weapon. As time went on, it became clear to police this bashing into the skull was a trademark for the murders that happened later on the trademark of the man that came to be known as the Atlanta Ripper. Of course, at the time, police still hadn't come to understand that this was a work of a serial killer. And when you look at the cases individually and not as a whole, 
patterns are hard to spot. And let's face it, I've known a lot of police officers in Atlanta, and some of them were absolutely brilliant. Others, the Ripper could have written a confession and painted it on the side of a building, and they wouldn't have been able to catch him. Now, frankly, with the murder rate in the black community early 1900s, the Ripper could have started killing well before 1909. But nobody will ever know for sure due to the desire of authorities not to open old wounds or further embarrass themselves for their failure to miss the size of a serial killer. Quite often, a serial killer's best assistance are the authorities, not the investigating officers, but the powers that be. They got to cover up the fact that they screwed up. Well, at, the, at that time, since there were no more unexplained murders of black women for the balance of the year, it was business as usual. Then January 22, 1911, 35-year-old Rosa Trice was found with her skull caved in and her throat slashed. Evidence showed her body had been drugged where it was found only 100 yards from her own doorstep. But in a typical myopic knee-jerk reaction, similar to what happens today, Police immediately arrested her husband, John Trice, for the murder. Clay's closed but through the brilliant detective work of the Atlanta police. Well, there was a lot of back padding and strutting until they had to release him for lack of evidence. In hindsight, Rosa Trice's murder became the template against which other Ripper murders were compared. Ripper's modus operandi was to approach a woman on the street, bash her in the head, and drag her body to a more secluded spot where he could take his time. Generally, this meant the victim was stabbed and mutilated before her throat was finally slashed. Another peculiar action by the Ripper was to cut the women's shoes off their feet and take them with him. But did anybody think to look for somebody with a collection of cut-up shoes? Nope. Early February 1911, Lucinda McNeil was murdered with a straight razor. Immediately, a lot of folks believed the Ripper had struck again, but in typical fashion, the police immediately arrested her husband based on some witness statements unsupported by facts that uh, Lucinda had been killed by her husband in a drunken rage. So Charles McNeil was tried and convicted of murder, getting a life sentence in prison. Again, we had backslapping and congratulations and parties and celebrations and strutting. Like finding a needle in a haystack, the police were dealing with too many crimes to be able to get to be able to see the big picture. Not that murder of black women was given major attention at that time. Next actual Ripper murder took place February eighth, nineteen eleven. Excuse me, February eighteenth, nineteen eleven. This time, the scene of the crime was just past the Atlanta city limits, which meant that the Atlanta police were not the primary investigative agency. It also meant they ignored the case. But be that as it may, the murdered woman, who still hadn't been identified to this day, appeared to be about 25. Skull was smashed in, though there was no immediate, uh, mention in media reports of her throat being slashed. Interesting to note that the killer took his time with her as there were empty beer bottles strewn around the body. Apparently, he had quite a high old time. April 5th, 1911, Georgia Brown was found dead. 
Since she was shot, not bashed in the head, most people didn't believe she was a victim of the Ripper. But whether she was or wasn't, never be known, as her murder, murder was never solved. Next murder took place uh, May 27, 1911. Probably committed by the Ripper. Well, there'd been a fairly lengthy period of time between murders to this point. Something changed. The murder that took place on May 27th seemed to be the beginning of a series of crimes committed by this creature of the shadows. May 27th, Mary Bell Walker was a cook walking home from her job on this Saturday night and apparently came face to face with the Ripper. She was found dead the next morning. Her throat had been slashed. June 15th, the next victim was added to the list. Her name was Addie Watts. Found with her skull smashed in with a brick. Body been drugged into some shrubbery while she was beaten in the head with a train coupling pin. And as a final indignity, her throat was slashed. May 24th, another black woman by the name of Lizzie Watts was murdered. Been hit in the head, drugged into some nearby bushes, and her throat had been slashed. Though the police later said they'd begun to suspect a serial killer was at work, it appears it was an enterprising newspaper reporter who actually noticed the pattern. And until the paper started asking if there was a killer on the loose, the stories of the murder of black women, if they were reported at all, related to the back pages of a little detail, it was assumed the killings were simply the product of the degeneracy to be found in the black community. And certainly initially, nobody in their right mind assumed that uh, there was one person who was committing these murders. In fact, in response to the suggestion there was a single killer, so resistant were some authorities to the idea one killer was claimed this was a convenient and fictional scapegoat for men to use to cover up the murder of their wives or girlfriends. June 1st, as July 1st, another attack took place, but the second victim of the night managed to survive and give a brief description of her attacker. On this Saturday night, 20-year-old Emma Lou Sharp was sitting at home waiting for her mother to come back from the grocery store. Finally, concerned it was taking her a long time, uh, Emma Lou began to walk to the grocery to see why her mother was so late. Well, Emma Lou got to the grocery only to be told her mother had never been there. With no idea what to do or where else to look for her mother, Emma Lou decided to go back home. On the way there, she was approached in the street by a tall, broad-shouldered black man wearing a wide-brimmed hat. And she wasn't really paying attention when he spoke to her. She admitted that later. Ask her how she's feeling. She was baffled with the question, but said fine and tried to keep walking. But he stepped in front of her to block her path. Now concerned for her own safety, she tried to get around the man, but as she brushed past him, she heard him say, "Uh, Don't be afraid, I never hurt girls like you. Next breath, he stabbed her in the back. Feeling the knife entering her back, Emma Lou screamed at the top of her lungs and took off running as fast as she could, blood uh, running down her back. Luckily, some neighbors heard her screams and came running to her assistance. Mysterious black man in a wide-brimmed hat stopped chasing her and just vanished into the shadows from whence he'd come. Mother wasn't as lucky as Emmalou. Neighbors who were searching for Emmalou's attacker found her mother's bodies in nearby bushes. She'd been hit in the head and her throat had been slashed. July 10th, workman on Atlanta Avenue noticed a trail of blood leading to a small gully. Following the blood trail, they found the body of Sadie Holly. Had he been bashed in with a rock, which was found lying nearby, the throat had been slashed, and shoes had been cut off her feet. Bloodhounds were brought in to try and track the killer, but they lost the scent after about 200 yards. 
Crime scene contained all the classic trademarks of the Atlanta Ripper, but the police preferred to rely on the tried-and-true method of solving crimes. Find somebody, anybody, and arrest them. Really didn't matter if they were guilty or not. As long as you had an arrest, you were good. Next day, they arrested a man by the name of Henry Huff and charged him with Sadie's murder. Witness claimed he had seen Huff with Sadie on the night of the murder and had been arguing. Additionally, police claimed that Huff had been found with dirt and blood on his clothes. And as a result of this witness's unsupported word, Huff was held on suspicion, eventually, eventually indicted, though it appeared nobody, not even the police, really believed he was guilty. But they could now brag they had caught the killer. Brilliant police work. And this removed some of the pressure on them from the leaders of the black community. Well, at the same time, police arrested Henry Huff. They arrested another man that witnesses said had been seen with Sadie. His name was Todd Henderson. And there were some sources that claimed that Emma Lou Sharp had identified Henderson as a man that stabbed her in the back, but there were others that said she couldn't be sure who the man was that stabbed her. Well, to put the icing on the cake, so to speak, police arrested and indicted a third suspect. He was John Daniel. Everybody was assured the killings were to the end with all the arrests, but nobody really seemed confident the Atlanta Ripper had been caught. In spite of these assurances, on August 31st, there was another murder that revealed the same trademarks as the earlier killings. The victim was 20-year-old Marianne Duncan. The body was found lying on the railroad tracks on the west side of Atlanta. Her throat had been slashed and her shoes had been cut off her feet. October 31st, another victim was found. Her name was Eva Florence, and her head had been bashed in and her throat slashed. Everything about this murder screamed it was done by the Ripper. In November, another victim was discovered. Her name was Minnie Wise, and she was hit in the head with a rock, and her body dumped in a trash heap where the two previous victims had been found. Her throat was slashed, her right index finger cut off at the joint. Naturally, police turned their attention to her husband, Bud Wise, they were sure that he had killed her and simply made it look like the Ripper, but this was never proven. At this point, police would have arrested the Easter Bunny to keep admitting there was a serial killer still stalking the black community. And as with so many serial killers, there seemed to be a tendency to escalate the horror of the killings. The same was true of the Atlanta Ripper. November 21st, the still warm uh, body of Mary Putnam was found uh, lying in a ditch, partially covered with loose dirt. Skull had been crushed, her throat had been slashed. That was enough for it to be viewed as a ripper murder, but in this case, her th breast was also slashed open and heart torn out of her ribcage and left sitting beside the body. Well, with this gruesome act, the ripper was believed to have ended his killings for 1911. But during the first five months of 1912, there were five black women murdered in Atlanta. Unfortunately, due to an absence of records, it's impossible to tell how many of these victims were killed by the ripper. If you can't make the cases go away, make the records go away, and Atlanta's good for that. January 12, 1912, Ida Ferguson was found stabbed to death. Again, in an immediate knee-jerk reaction, police arrested her boyfriend, Lucky Elliott, who was later convicted of the murder. And even though all the evidence against him was circumstantial, the police knew he did it. So he had to be convicted. And how did they know? Gut feeling. Well, on Saturday, January 20th, the body of Pearl Williams was found. Her throat had been slashed. 
Police pointed the finger at Frank Harvey, who had told witnesses he wanted to marry, and if she couldn't have her, nobody else could. So the police arrested uh, a 17-year-old by the name of Edgar Evans in regard to this murder, but his involvement was never revealed. February 15th, the body of Alice Owens was found. Some viewed this as another ripper killing. The police immediately arrested her husband, Charles Owens, for her murder, and he's later convicted based on uh, some very sketchy circumstantial evidence. April 15th, the body of an unknown 15-year-old girl was found. Her throat had been cut, and she'd been thrown in the river. May 11th, an unidentified woman was found. Had been hit in the head, dragged into some nearby shrubbery, and had her throat slashed. As far as can be determined, the murder of this unidentified woman on May 11th was the last of the Ripper murders. Some question whether or not all the murders committed over that two-year period when the Ripper was said to be the most active were actually committed by one man. Unfortunate thing is that due to the large number of crimes committed in the black community during this time period and the tendency of law enforcement to chalk them up to the degeneracy of the black race, the investigations never seriously addressed the possibility that there was an actual serial killer attacking black women. That's a sad commentary on the concept of equal justice for all. The, it's also interesting to note the tendency to immediately single out a suspect and then slant all the evidence to support that conviction. The prosecutors had to be aware they were prosecuting innocent people. But, you know, politics, especially in Atlanta, Georgia, all important. Look at what's been going on with former President Trump. I mean, some of the shenanigans by anybody's standard are not right, violate his due process rights. But we got to get him because he might, if he becomes president, he's going to come after us. So we got to get him. And that seems to be the attitude. As far as the war in the Middle East, politics are involved in that as well. Right now, our illustrious leader wants there to be a humanitarian truce where were the humanitarian truces when they attacked and murdered people well I don't want to get back on my soapbox all that having been said we come to the end of the day show and we'll be back tomorrow and talk about some more unfinished business till then this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall show saying have a truly great evening